0: Welcome to another episode of Tell Me More, where we're continuing our conversation on the church highlighting service. And we have a lot to talk about because our church is good at serving. We've inherited a long history of it from the early church. And so we have a good conversation. We're glad you're listening and Enjoy.
1: Well, we are back with Tell Me More, and I'm here in the studio with Katie Reed Hodges, Dr. Wiles. Yep. Hello. My name is Luke Stair. Look at us. We're here. We made it. And on Monday. On a Monday.
0: Monday.
1: Mm-hmm. Columbus Day. Slash? Indigenous Peoples Day. I actually don't
0: know what's the proper the, government. I yep. was trying to decide that yesterday.
2: I'm not sure. I don't so, know. Let's just say Monday. It's Monday. Monday. Monday, Monday. October Happy 9? day off to Arlington ISD. Mm-hmm. And the CDC. And the, <laughs> and the Child Development <laughs> Center. Both of y'all know that, right? Yeah. We do. Me as well. I, left, I have a granddaughter. There. I left a
0: wild party at my house to come here. so It's always a joy. Uh, yeah. It is.
2: Yes. It is a joy. Get so, it. parents' nightmare when they see that posting on the CDC door.
0: Ryan always says, Why? And I say, Ryan, I don't know. I mean, or I do know. And I explain it and he says, But why?
2: <laughs> uh, uh, yeah,
0: you get it. Anyway, anyway. the
1: joys of parenthood. <laughs> but listen,
0: they're training today. They're training. They, they, they are, training are dude. To, they're training. I
1: appreciate professional to development for my child's yeah, care yeah, yeah, yeah. caregivers. There it is. There, you there go. it is. So, That's, right. That's yeah. what you want. Uh-huh. So, okay. We are talking about the church, right, Luke? Yeah, we are talking about the church and. Why it matters, and we're Even talking though about I have on all
2: Rangers stuff today. I thought we were talking about the Texas, Rangers, okay? But I'm well, fine. To do we need talk to? About well, Sir, I'm, I'm,
1: I'm sure our Boss? listeners would enjoy some baseball commentary I, I, from you. I,
0: okay, enjoy. help me out. You say you're wearing all Rangers. I see yeah. a Rangers vest. I have a
2: Rangers or a golf shirt. I'm Texas oh,
0: Rangers, okay? Wow. I'm all out
1: Rangers decked today, out.
0: I am you got your Auburn shoes on? I, I do, know, but I'm okay. full out Rangers. I can't see the shoes. But, I um, um, I, yeah. I know that they're in the playoffs. They're in the
2: playoffs against the Baltimore Orioles. Are they were heavily favored, and the Orioles got a day off. The, fa- the Orioles are heavily but favored. But we beat them, didn't we? We beat them two games in a row. Whoa. Okay. How many do we have to win? So we need to win three. It's a think, five I, game series. I think so.
0: Only the biggest, the, the end is the next, a seven game. Well,
2: no, then the next one will be seven, I yeah. think. And then the next one will be seven. Oh, so we are going okay. to get the World Series. I think that's right.
0: So go Rangers.
2: That's right. <clears throat> anyway, <clears throat> so just that's a, a big little shout out. I mean, it is a, it's
0: not. It's not like they get to the it's playoffs not every nothing. year. No. So no. it is to be celebrated.
2: We are. We're excited.
0: All right. Well, yeah. you know, go Rangers.
1: Game. Go Rangers. Rangers fans, also, rejoice.
0: Also, go church. That's right.
1: <laughs> Amen. Yeah. Church members, <laughs> rejoice. Yeah. Um, but we talked about service. You talked we about did. service on Sunday. We're going to we talk did. about service our in church, here this morning.
0: Especially, I mean, I think we'll get to this, but especially our older half, I'd say. Mm-hmm knows how to serve. Mm-hmm. Those people know how to serve. Mm-hmm. The younger crowd's learning, but mm-hmm. our older... It is what it is. They have a, quite the legacy mm-hmm. and they just show up when you need them. Mm-hmm. This is my testimony.
1: Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. much to talk about. Much.
2: So, I've got speaking of the you, much... Yeah, you, you've,
1: you... You kick off with your question there, Katie. Well... you
2: got your iPad. Looks like you've, you've been doing a little work on it. So, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I have
0: come prepared. Okay, good. So, well, one thing I wanted to know... In a classic, tell me more is that Mm -hmm. you talked a little bit, well, you a lot about the early church Mm -hmm. and how it was marked by service in a time Mm -hmm. where they were getting slaughtered for Mm -hmm. it, and Mm -hmm. but it, but the church grew because of it. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that early Christians started hospitals, started caring for people who Mm -hmm. no one else cared for, caring Mm -hmm. for strangers. Mm -hmm. And so, can you tell us more about Mm -hmm. the this the context and the growth of in general social services that Mm -hmm. the church kind of birthed? Mm Because I know that's true, but I don't know much about it. Mm
2: -hmm. Well, as I said, Sunday morning. You know when you when you read Luke's summary comments, you know how they held things in common, how they cared for each other, cared for the needy. You know Luke doesn't actually say they all sold all of their homes, so they had nowhere to live. I mean, they actually still met house to house. He says <laughs> so, um, but occasionally, but, yeah, they were selling things, property, yeah. whatever, and um, and you know making sure that um, that the this new community was cared for. I would say probably in the earliest days, that definitely was necessary because they were stepping out of not only their Jewish, Jewishness, if you will, from a religious perspective, they were stepping out culturally, you know, out of families. Um, and so that community became incredibly tight knit because they were all Jews mm-hmm. in, the, in the original um, church or proselytes god figures if you will and uh <clears throat> and so they needed some type of a social network to care for each other so because they probably lost familial connections if that makes sense and and in the ancient world there was nothing else but familial, familial connections there there were I mean you had you know the romans created these um food doles you know these grain doles where the emperor would feed the people but they didn't provide care for the people and um and also as I pointed out Sunday morning there's been a lot of research done just on the, um, the ethos, if you will, of paganism, of, of the ancient world's religious climate. And, it, and it, had a, it, it had a certain coldness to it, you know, a certain emptiness to it. Uh, it was not a warm religious devotion. That's not really what it was. It was no. highly superstitious, built around the priests and rituals and all of that. So it wasn't like it was a life transformation. Well the
1: premise was don't make these deities angry. <laughs> right. <laughs> when that's we're the trying heart, to appease yeah, them.
2: Yeah,
0: when that's the heart of your faith. Um so when we look at like the yeah. beauty and mutuality of yes. a loving
2: relationship with God through right. Christ, right. not exactly no, the no, same thing. No, no shocking not, totally to the pagan world. Yeah, totally foreign, really. Yeah. And yeah. in their minds, pagan. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know? Oh how the tables have turned. <laughs> yeah. So uh so you think about Christianity being birthed into that milieu rooted in Judaism. So you've got concepts like image of God and um, you know, you've got the the ethical demands of of the Old Testament and alms giving and caring for the poor and, and certainly through families and clans, if you will. So but the church is something completely different because it's not necessarily familial mm-hmm. and it's not built around these pagan philosophies. It's actually rooted in a relationship with a person and the belief in a personal God. So I'm, I'm trying to imagine something, I don't know, historically, Luke, more, more in stark contrast to the prevailing cultural view. I don't, I don't know that I can come up with anything that Christianity just yeah. stood out. It was it, radically it, it, different. Yeah, so different. I mean, you know? if you
1: were to go and read through, I mean, even these people we hold up as major just – bastions of philosophy like Aristotle or Socrates or Plato right. the way that they write about slaves the right. way that they write about women yes. the way that they write about children, children it yes. would be abhorrent
2: of course and we, and, <laughs> in our modern society say, and, and, uh, so most secularists don't talk about all that kind of stuff yeah. because they don't want to expose the harshness of these people yeah. because they really were cold yeah in every, I mean you know like a slave is born I mean you know Plato's view It's a tool. It's an
1: instrument. It's not a person.
2: given to us by the gods, you know, so (laughs) we're grateful to have them. Aren't you glad to have them? Children
1: (laughs) were frequently abandoned in trash heaps. Yes. Um,
2: And there was nothing done about it. So birth the church into that. And these people start growing in their faith and understanding the ethical demands of the gospel. Plus, there's an inner transformation that takes place in people's lives. And they just start living radically different lives. And so they stand out among among the, the Romans and, and the Greek. Just their their view of the world was so different. So, you know, children would be abandoned. The church would take them in, you know, or people would get really sick. And there was really nowhere to go. I mean, the medical care, when you study the history of medicine, I mean, it was very limited. And it was primarily for the military. Uh, but there were a lot of military people, a lot of military families spread across the empire. And royal family aristocrats, obviously, but no one else. It's not like you had a place to go, you know, to for somebody to care for you, mm-hmm. just your family. Well, Christians took in strangers, which was just so shocking to the ancient world. So Rodney Stark is the one who really, at least for me and my research, has written so much about this, about how uh, there there's so much material written in those 200, 300, 400, that era of Christians are doing these incredible acts of generosity and benevolence that nobody could even understand, you know, right. and just, they're just overwhelmed by it and drawn to it. You and know? The,
1: there's even a point in Roman history where the Romans essentially catch on to what's happening and they try to have the pagan priests copy the benevolence, and they tried, right. but they ultimately couldn't do it because there was no love Right. That we've talked, already talked about how it was not a warm religion. Right. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, those efforts failed, and Christianity just kept growing because of the love rooted. That mm-hmm. was the root of those benevolent
2: acts. Mm-hmm. And if you think about, that's, to me, it's one of the, obviously, the power of the gospel <laughs> is at the heart of all this. Right. But an expression of the gospel is that expression of love. That, that is at least one of the major contributing factors to the collapse of paganism and the incredible expansion of Christianity. And just from a historical perspective, if you're you're just a historian and you're not necessarily a Christian per se, um, the collapse of paganism is a fascinating study because it was so prevalent, so predominant, and it just dominated the culture, Um, not just religiously, culturally, politically. Um, I mean, a, a Roman general wouldn't think about going into battle without consulting the gods, you know, and, Throw something in this little concoction and, and watch how it all materializes, and let some priest interpret it for you. You know, mm-hmm. basically. And mm-hmm. this was either a mm-hmm. yes or a no. And um, so, just think about how it, it basically permeated all of their lives, but there was no there was no personal warmth in it. There was no relational connection in it. And and Christianity brought all that. And so then the next thing you know, Christians began. Caring for people, you know, Christians wouldn't, they wouldn't, I mean, even little things like Christians wouldn't even cremate their bodies, mm. you know, which to the Romans was just like, what is wrong with you people? Yeah. Well, there's nothing wrong with cremation, but in the ancient world, the Christians were basically saying, we view everything about life is so valuable and so um, it, it's the image of God. God has created all of this. We're going to do everything we can to protect it if, if possible. Uh, but if, it, if that means giving up our own life, we'll give up our own life. You know, well, that just, um, you can actually say it pretty much spread like wildfire, you know, because by the time you get to Constantine, you know, there's a lot of debate about Constantine, what was his personal faith, what was Mm -hmm. his ethos. But when you read about Constantine, read some of the things that he said, you know, he's in the East. His dad is one of the minor emperors, you know, under Diocletian. And Diocletian is making these Roman soldiers sacrifice things to these gods. And Constantine's mother is a Christian, Helena, and... And Constantine is saying to Diocletian and these other leaders, "What am I going to do with these soldiers who won't sacrifice to these gods before battle?" Well, Diocletian answer was, "We'll kill them." And Constantine said, "You know, as a general, I'm not going to kill my own soldiers. It's <laughs> not <Sounds laughs> so, great for morale. You know, I'm not going to do that." Yeah. And so he's asking these soldiers, "Why are you willing to die before we even go to battle?" You know, and these soldiers are giving testimony to him. Well. In other words, Christianity had spread so rapidly by those early 300s in the East that Constantine, there are a lot of people who argue that Constantine may have had a majority Christian army before he ever even Uh. had an idea to convert, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. There were just so many Christians by that time. And paganism has collapsed. And so when Constantine builds his new city in Istanbul, think about it. He builds a a brand new, quote-unquote, modern city and not one pagan temple. Now, if you've ever visited Rome mm-hmm. and you and you make your way across Rome and you have this image of ancient Rome during Constantine's time that is chock full of temples to every God you can think of. Remember when Paul was in Athens, he said, I think I'll right. have a temple to every god there is, surely. Mm-hmm. You know, I even found one to an unknown god, just in case you missed one. That was every ancient city, and Constantine builds a city with no pagan temples in it. So in 250 years, paganism has almost completely disappeared and Christianity has flourished. So um, and one of the reasons men like Rodney Stark say that happened was was because of these acts of service, these demonstrations of love, starting things like hospitals for just normal everyday people, just mm-hmm. strangers caring for people and trying to help them nurse them back to health. Nursing kind of became this noble calling, if you will, to care for people, not wounded at war, not aristocratic families, just everyday people like us, and they're caring for them, you know, even if they don't know them. They're not even in their families. And um, so you have so many records of people writing about it, just about how the, the pastors are preaching about it. We have sermons, you know, Chrysostom and some of these others preach these sermons about Christian ethics and benevolent mm-hmm. acts and charity and gracious activity out in the, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself. I mean, it's it's, it's really remarkable if you think about it. And, and then you, you fast forward— And how that has has just now become a part of the social order in the West, it's like we don't even think about it anymore. Well, of course you would take care of children.
1: We actually don't think about this, but, you know, if you think about the Scandinavian socialist states, those were actually started by the state Lutheran churches. They were the earliest advocates of those democratic socialist states we think of in northern Europe. Mm -hmm. Those were Christian-founded economic orders. Yes,
2: Christian principles that are rooted in the New Testament. Regardless of what you think about them today, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, so, and I, I even look at, um, you know, when if you want to fast forward to the modern era, and let's just talk about Texas when Texas is is growing and and I know how I know how Texans are. Y'all are very proud of the.
1: <laughs> There's only one Texan in the
2: room. That's <laughs> right. Say what you want. I was going to say so. Uh, you're outnumbered. And it's me. You're outnumbered in here, Katie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah,
0: and I'm not uh, all that. You know. Yeah.
2: But. Texan when you pride. look at how Texas grows and and becomes, first of all, just geographically, um, it's just monstrous. I can play a Texan you know? though. I yeah.
0: mean, I can right. You know, so, I mean, you think get about those Californians um, out of here. Oh, you think Is about how
2: oh, pretty good. <laughs> well, we're, we yeah. were in uh, Fredericksburg um, this weekend for a wedding, and uh, a nice part yeah. of Texas. Yeah, this it's very it. yeah. beautiful. Yeah. This place had T-shirts for sale, and it said something like a uh, "To all of you people moving to my Texas." you are refugees not missionaries we do not need to be saved <laughs> and i thought no that is a texas t-shirt that but is. but when you look at it, first of all it's it's monstrous in its just in its dimensions and if if you took texas and flipped it over you know kind of toward the east on its axis el paso is like 18 miles out into the uh, atlantic ocean yeah. i mean mm-hmm. it it just completely uh-huh. covers the south if you will so when texas baptists began to get established in texas one of the questions was what should we do you know how how do we evangelize an, an area that is this huge and so they basically came up with three plans a three-pronged plan one was to plant churches the second was to establish benevolent um charities if you will and the third was to build baptist universities and train uh, and educate Texans in every field from a Christian perspective. And if you think about it, to me that was genius. Um because think about all of the Baptist schools across the mm-hmm. state of Texas. You know, now ra- granted Baylor is the largest one, but you have Mary Hardin mm-hmm. Baylor, you have East Texas Baptist, you have Dallas Baptist, Used to it was called Houston Baptist. Hardenson. Uh, Hardenson was Wayland uh, I mean, all of these schools are established, and they're not training ministers. Now they are training ministers, but in every single one of them, the ministers are in the mi- overwhelming minority. Mm-hmm. They're training nurses and lawyers and doctors and 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 homemakers, and I mean, just pick pick any kind of field, if you will, uh, accountants, engineers. Well, and that's what they're all still doing. But they've been doing that for a long time, you know, since the early, what, 19th century, late 19th century. But the genius was, let's, let's infiltrate, if you will, this entire, saturate this state with Christians who are actually trained in multiple disciplines. But let's also establish ministries like Buckner benevolences mm-hmm. um, uh, or nursing homes or an entire hospital system. That is spread all over the state and so texas baptists to me are a great example of kind of combining obviously church planting you know belief in the gospel but also taking a more a more progressive view if you will toward advancing a social order that's populated by christians and kind of advanced by christians and um well there's something to be said for that and i believe it i believe it works (laughs) you know i've pastored numerous churches And I have I've had the privilege of pastoring um, people who are graduates of these Baptist institutions and they're in every field and they're in they're in our churches all over. And obviously, it's not just Texas. Other states did that. But Texas has done it on a grand scale, I would say, more so than any other state when it comes to Texas Baptist life. And so I, I just think about how we kind of take for granted that, of course, we do these things. Well, of course, we're going to provide for the indigent. Well, of course, we're going to take care of people who are in need physically. Well, of course, you know, we, we, we almost answer like, well, of course, that is what we'll do. Well, that was foreign to the ancient world. That was something Christianity really brought into being, if you will. Mm-hmm. And and it's just now, it's, it's kind of like the guy that wrote that book, The Air We Breathe. It's like we don't
1: Great read, by the way. Yeah, we don't even
2: notice it anymore. We just breathe it in when actually it didn't used to exist. Yeah. You know, but so it's a, now it's just a hallmark. It's just what we do. Right. So, and again, the church, I get it. You can also, you know, you can uh, there's a there's an historian, um, um Carol, his last name, he wrote a book called Constantine's Sword. Well, there's a flip side to the church becoming mm. powerful. There is, of so course. Yeah. The there there are atrocities. There are things that have happened in the name of Christ that are egregious. I get it. That's because we have failed broken human beings at the helm of it sometimes. Um, But you just can't argue with the benevolent, charitable acts of Christianity and how it has affected every society. I mean, for example, you have William Carey, who goes to India, you know, to work as a missionary. And once Carey gets there, he, uh, you know, he spends years without any converts. And uh, so it's a very difficult time. You know, his wife. Lost her mind. I mean, it was it was a very challenging time. You know, he never went back to England. You know, I mean, he goes and I mean, basically gives his life to India. Mm-hmm. One of the things that he's burdened about when he gets there is that so many of the Indians can't read their own language, and he just he just can't imagine that. And of course, growing up in England, yeah, he's different. You know, absolutely had had an advantage, if you will, at least from a Western perspective. So next thing you know, he starts producing alphabets and materials and languages. He helps them write down their languages so that they can actually read it for themselves. Now, as a stroke of genius on his part as a missionary, he uses the Bible
0: mm-hmm.
2: as <laughs> the instrument that they learn to read. But the next thing you know, before he dies, he has translated the Bible in like 36 different languages. I mean, working with a lots of other people, of course. Um, and But while he's there, he also notices that for some reason in that culture in those days, when a man died, his wife had to be burned at his funeral, on these funeral pyres. And so Carrie visited with community leaders and said, "Why are you doing this?" And of course their thing was, "Well, they're moving from this life to the next iteration, and she's going with him." And Carrie was like, "Well, that <laughs> that, that is she, that's just she so can poorly just founded. Meet him there. That's yeah. right. As if her life." Had no value only in- independently mm-hmm. of her husband, right? Only relative to his, right? And so, Carrie argued, and Carrie said, "My goal before I die is for that practice to be outlawed in the nation of India." Now, think about that. What did that have to do with him being a missionary planning churches? Well, to him, it had everything to do with it. It was it was just an, an act of charity for a culture that he felt beholden to, and so the good news is before William Carey died I mean he was almost on his deathbed the the practice of the funeral pyre um uh, accompanying the death of any husband was eradicated in India and he is t- he is usually referred to as the father of that movement to undo mm. that practice well that to me is just an example so today if if I were in a, a modern person in India and say you know I think that when you die, your wife needs to be burned with you. They would probably look at me and go, well, of course not. Well, guess what? That used to happen. But the infiltration, if you will, of Christian thought and ideas and benevolence changed the practice of an entire culture. That's powerful to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for that, that that that's our heritage as well as (laughs) some of the other things I'm not quite as proud of. But uh, I think on the service side, the church has a lot, a lot to be reckoned with. So, good. It's a good legacy to be yeah. proud of.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as we think about legacy, I think one of the things that's worth thinking about is you know, we've got this tremendous, wonderful, sometimes complicated history. How do we turn that legacy, that history into a future? Mm-hmm.
2: Oh, you're asking me? Sure. <laughs> was, yeah. say, there, yeah. just kind of for the room. Let it just hang in the air a little yeah. bit. That,
0: that's <laughs> like rhetorical. A, yeah, that's, no, but, that's I mean, when you chew on for like five years with most of your committee right. leaders, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean,
1: as we sit and have conversations about church, as we think mm-hmm. about just cultural trends, you know, we've already talked about just the wonderful people in our true, truth serve. Mm-hmm. I mean, but the real fact of the matter, sadly, is that eventually baby boomers are going to retire from mm-hmm. service. Mm-hmm. Um, Lord, Lord help us. Lord help us. Help us. Yes, truly. <laughs> um, we prayed. Yeah, mm-hmm. my evening prayers. So, I mean, we have cultural transitions, just realities to grapple well, Luke with. Luke and so. I were talking about
0: that yesterday because there's a greeter that's getting older. Mm-hmm. And we just talked with each other about who replaces that greeter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's so small, but it's like. Yeah,
2: but it's, yeah. it's a reality. We, I mean, it's one thing I, I think it,
0: about at you that know?
1: service is mm-hmm. we have older greeters with an mm-hmm. older group. Mm-hmm. There's not a natural Mm-hmm. next pipeline, if you pipeline for mm-hmm. our greeters at that service. Mm-hmm. So I do think about that. Sure. But yeah. even beyond that, just as a church moving into right. as the, the future in the West, mm-hmm. institutionally, personally, how do we take mm-hmm. this legacy of how the gospel changes culture? Because I think that is this underlying message of service. Mm-hmm. How do we take that, carry that forward into our future?
2: Mm. I think that's a great question. I, I, I think Probably what I would say <clears throat> Let's just take First Baptist Arlington as an example. Um, So this church has responded to needs presented to it through the years in sometimes small um, personal ways, but sometimes in more institutional responses, if you will. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Dr. Wade, um, y'all may have heard the interview we did with him several years ago for our 150th anniversary um i just asked him we were sitting up in the balcony of our sanctuary i said just tell me tell me the stories of how some of these things started and um so and he had been here for a couple of years he came in 76 so he said some ladies came to visit with him Uh, i think it was 1978 i remember to just present to him that there was no there was a there was a shelter for abused women in Fort Worth there was one in Dallas but there wasn't one in Arlington and and Charles said his first thought was well I think that's okay I think that's sufficient I mean we're kind of a in between kind of community and and you have people in our city that have natural affinities some people are more Fort Worth people some are more Dallas people a lot of that depends on their work life and you know family connections or whatever and and these ladies said, well, no, Arlington has its own problem and something needs to be done. And so as Charles began to research that, he met with some of our leaders and basically in some of the both men and women in our church. One lady was very famous for saying, well, somebody needs to do something. And uh Um, and so um her name was Edna Goodyear. Many people remember Miss Edna, but that was one thing Miss Edna used to say all the time. That was a uh, Emily Klopphouse's grandmother, if you know and Ben and uh Jack Goodyear's grandmother. Um, but that was one of Edna's things. Well, somebody needs to do something. And 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 so when I did her funeral, we nicknamed her somebody because she was kind of the (laughs) one that would go, Okay, well then I'll I guess it's me. Yeah, Yeah, I guess I'll do something. And um, so she was a part of that journey as well as a number of lots of other people. So we decided to, the church, to start some type of shelter for abused women. It was controversial in those days because nobody really knew what the laws were, you know. What if a mm-hmm. husband comes looking for his wife? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I know it's kind of hard for you two to believe because y'all are so much younger. Um, but there was a time, you know, when husbands in all of our states had legal Rights that um could be exploited in ways that might be shocking today if that makes sense like for example, there would have been a time in 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 the the all of the states in America where you'd have had a really difficult time convicting a husband of rape because it just mm-hmm. didn't exist as mm-hmm. as something that right. you could you could actually address if you will it may sound foreign to us today, but that's I mean, just that's how it's been. Relatively
0: new right. as a
2: movement, right? So when you think about a woman claiming to be abused by her husband, well, what's her legal standing? So, but the answer the church gave was, well, actually, what is our moral obligation as Christians? That's really what we've got to deal with, and the church just said we have to act. Mm-hmm. And um, we had a fateful deacons' meeting one night mm-hmm. where some of our deacons stood up and said. We have to do this. And so we did. And um, we started this women's shelter. Well, that was a that was an institutional response, if you will, to a problem in our community. And for many people today, whether they know it or not, the women's shelter still exists. It's much larger now. It's one of the largest ones there is, unfortunately. But it's very well run. And y'all may remember at our 150th anniversary, um, we actually took up things, you know, um, offering donations, whatever. And we took some of those to the women's shelter, and Cindy went and and did that and uh, met with the new leader. I think she's new, but it was interesting. Um, She knew this story, and so when Cindy and them arrived, you know, they called ahead and all that, but anyway, when they arrived, she made sure to point out to Cindy, we just want you to know that we know your church started this, you know, and now it's shared by the entire community, but just want you to know we haven't forgotten our history, uh, that First Baptist Church Arlington made this a reality. Um, and so, of course, Mission Arlington came not too long after that, you know, just a few years later. But it came on the heels of the church kind of mobilizing and realizing we can do something like this socially in the community. And um, so um, the church obviously decided to act on behalf of people who live in apartment complexes, that was the original idea behind Mission Arlington, taking the gospel to these complexes that we felt like were unchurched and people were not um, prone to visit a church like ours, and which obviously is borne out in research. But um, but on the heels of that, we found all kinds of physical needs in those apartment complexes. And so the next thing you know, our church began collecting all kinds of items to accompany any kind of Bible study presence in any one of these apartments. Well, now we've got 354 of them, and now Mission Arlington is maybe the largest benevolent operation, um, I don't know, I mean, a Christian one, but surely in North Texas, I don't know where else, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure where else I mean, you might go to look for something like it. Um, but anyway, but our church established that, so, you know, and then the Counseling Center and Christian Women's Job Corps, I mean, there's so many things that we've put in place um, as a church. Um but I think now, Luke, it's a great question. So we have done these things and they're still a part of who we are. We're still supporting them financially, and, and I'm grateful for it. And those are opportunities to serve. there are in each one of those. However, there are other ills in our society. Um, and so, what I guess probably what I would say about the future, I think, first of all, praise the Lord, we have a legacy. Of it, And it seems to be in our DNA a little bit, I think. Um, so are there are seeds that, or the ground is maybe fertile is a better way to put it. So my question, I think probably my question would be, what is God leading us to do? What What is the Lord going to put in front of us and say, here is an ill that this church feels compelled to address? Because, you know, we can't do everything, but we can focus our energies, mm-hmm. you know, as God leads us. Uh, in a direction that that matters. Um, And so, you know, um, I don't know what that's going to be, but I do believe there is a future and I think it's going to be on y'all, kind of your generation in cooperation with some of us and some who are ahead of me to make those kind of decisions and decide how do we address some of these things Mm -hmm. that we know are plaguing our our society right now. And um, I don't know what those are and I'm not sure what our response will be, but I do believe this about about um the first Baptist Arlington, I believe we're we're poised to be obedient in it as God leads us, is probably mm. what I'd say. It's
1: good That's a good place to be.
2: Yeah. Mm. So I'm not sure you know, I look at my society right now and i I mean there are many things that burden me. Um you know when I was a child and I came into my teenage years, and then to start college, and then I end up in seminary. Well, back then, you had this huge conversation about what was called latchkey children. You know, what do you, what do you do with these children in the afternoons? That, because at that time, women were joining the workforce in in kind of record proportions, if you will, and um, and many of them were moms. And so the question was, what's happening to the children? And so a lot of that's been addressed by various entities. But what I would tell you is, right now we're in a, we're in another situation where um, there are people, particularly in Texas, the Texas Workforce Commission is one of them, that are asking, "What's going on with our children? How are our children being cared for after school every day? Where are they going?" Mm-hmm. Um, because we know the workforce has so many men and women in the workforce, and uh, these are usually the dual-income parents. And we know there are not enough child development centers to keep up. We know that for a fact. There are not enough of them. So what is really happening with children? And um and that's a concern I have, you know, what is happening with children? How are parents navigating those challenges? Uh, YouTube had to deal with a little bit today, obviously, just because the the daycare our, our child development centers closed today for staff development. Y'all both have children there. So you're having to my mama would say finagle. I don't know if that's a word or not, but sure. y- y'all, had yeah. y'all had to finagle your day today to try to figure out what do I do? Um, well, um, you know, the afternoons as the children get older become quite challenging. And right. so that's an issue for me. Um and again, it's not um it's not on the level of abused women. Okay, I would say that. Obviously those are crises, There's, those are those are emergency things, right? responses. Mm-hmm. But this is a long-term kind of issue that I am burdened about, and who is stepping in that gap, and what is the role of the church? I don't know. So um, that's just one example, you know? I mean, there are there are plenty of them, <laughs> some of them much more pressing, mm. um, so I'm not sure. But I do think we're poised for obedience, I believe. That's good. That's so. a good phrase, good image to think about. That but, is. Because we've tried
0: to, I mean, we have sat in rooms and thought, what is the next big thing for our church?
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And I, I think we live in an increasingly, it, it may be messy and decentralized, the way we tackle the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Less institutional, yeah. one thing and more.
1: That's an entirely different podcast. It but is. The institutional to network move is yeah. a mm-hmm. phenomenon of the world right yes. now.
2: And it's happening right in front of us, you know yeah mm-hmm.
0: not to be tackled today, but right. it's not mm-hmm. uh, it's just different it is and it may it be is. hindsight that shows us what it is
2: mm-hmm. yeah so but i I would uh, say from a personal perspective though, and we've talked about the institutional side, you know the personal side is though each one of us has been called and gifted to serve the kingdom of god
1: absolutely, and that's
2: what I would say for our listeners, everybody that's listening to us today, I hope that you have um you know, discerned who you are, what you're suited for, what your gifts are, and how they can be used in service to the kingdom and sometimes you you serve in ways that aren't necessarily in your giftedness. I think we all do that because sometimes there are just jobs that need to be done um I've told the story here before, I don't know if you' all heard it or not, but you used to Cindy used to lead retreats for i m b missionaries every year. We did that. We started it in Alabama, and we did it for the probably our first ten or twelve years here at First Baptist Arlington, where every year we would go to West Africa, and we would take doctors and dentists, and I don't know y'all, hairdressers. um, I don't pick something, and we bring all these missionaries into a retreat setting and just love on them, and we would do medical exams and dental exams and, you know, just we had massage therapists and the IMB would usually bring um, the kind of the staff psychiatrist. And, but I would also do counseling with them. And then we would, we would lead worship for them. We would do kind of a a vacation Bible school for all their children, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense, you know? And, uh, and, and it was, it was incredible. We loved it. We did it for many years. Well, one year, uh, and we did it for a certain part of the West African team. And, um, and actually, Cindy actually became the person who held the records for a lot of them. We, You know, their doctors would call us and say, OK, when you get to West Africa this year, here are the vaccinations. We need these children to get this. We need these children to get this. So Cindy would assimilate all of that. We'd take it with us. And so it was a really cool thing. Well, one year, the entire region was meeting. And I would do the preaching, you know, so I would lead and preach and all that. Well, the entire region was meeting. So there were like 500 of these people coming. Well, that's pretty massive. And they came to us and said, would you help us? We've got some others, but would you, would you be the leader, as Cindy, to organize some other churches? And um, so that's great. And, uh, and I was thinking, "Man, that's awesome. And I'm going to get to preach to you know, 500 missionaries. How many of them are there? I don't remember we're now? Well, then the IMB contacts and said, and, you know, the, we've brought in um, Tom Elliff is going to be the preacher. He was going to be the leader of the IMB for a while. And I was like, huh. So my wife says to me, but I want you to go. And I was like, "Why am I going?" Yeah, I mean, what they, am I going to do? Yeah, they there got you. a preacher in, and they said, "Well, actually, I got a job for you." Um, <laughs> Don't
1: you love it when your wife says, "Well, I've oh, got a job so for you."
2: Job. She said, "We need somebody in the like the um, the toddler class because there are a lot of young mm-hmm. families." And I said, "So you're telling me you want me to go to Africa for ten days?" And for six of those days, you want me to keep the nursery, one of the nurseries. That's what you're telling me. And she said, yeah, honey, I really need it, you know, because she said, I'm going to work with you. I'm going to be, I said, no, no, you won't, because I know how you are. You're the head of the whole thing. Yeah, you're going to lead the whole thing. I know, I know exactly what that means. So I did, I went, <clears> okay, <throat> when I got there, y'all, of course, we knew a bunch of missionaries. I mean, you know, there were a bunch of hours were there, but there were a lot of them who have no idea who we are. very first day where the thing is starting Cindy and I are in there getting everything ready in this hotel. It's kind of a hotel, kind of a, I don't know how you describe it. It's kind of a compound kind of thing. And so Cindy said, I need to run, check on so-and-so. We, didn't have, we had no children. So I was like, okay, whatever. First couple brings, there was a girl, a lady, brings her baby. And um, and she's like, how are you doing? I said, fine. She said, so... Um, I'm, 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 I mean, I'm leaving my child here for the, I mean, you know, my husband and I are going to these meetings. I said, it's great. Absolutely. This is the right room. You know, we already had their names. and We had everything set up and I said, Oh yeah, I forgot the kid's name I said, oh, whatever. And she looked at me and she said, so are you, are you doing this by yourself? And I said, Oh no, no, my wife's going to be here. I said, and you know, you got people in all these different rooms obviously, but I mean, I'm, but, but I'm mm-hmm. doing this one. And she kind of looked at me and I said, well, you know, I have children. You know, so I've, I've actually changed diapers and she was like, oh, oh, okay. And, uh, and then she told me her name and I said, well, my name's Dennis, you know, and she was like, okay. And she said, so, so I could just tell she was mm-hmm. thinking, Do I, Absolutely. Is, this this, yeah. is this how this, is this how this is going to go? So then she said, well, you know, you need to put sunscreen, you know, we're close to the equator. And I went, yeah, you know, I've been to Africa before. And I, I, she said, even if it's cloudy, I said, and I, if we go outside, which we will, I promise you, we will have sunscreen on the children. She said, well, you know, you have to put it, on, you know, you, mm. you do, and yes, I will. And then she told me two or three other things, and finally I just said, you know, it's okay. We're going to be fine. So she finally turns to leave, and when she leaves, her baby starts crying a little bit, you know, but, but, but he was okay. And she kind of turned and looked at me, and I looked at her, and I said, I just want to tell you something. I've got a Ph.D. in church history. I've got six years of New Testament Greek. I could be preaching this gun retreat, but instead I'm in here stuck with your kid. Okay, that's what—I didn't say any of that, but I was thinking it to <laughs> myself. I'm you know? really glad you didn't say right. that. Just want to make sure you know who I yeah. am. But you know what was, what was interesting? And y'all? you don't even trust me with your kid. <laughs> you don't know yeah. That's exactly right. So, but you know what was funny? Um, and I teased Cindy. You know, like we'd be in the middle of something. Some of the kids would be crying. I'd say, you know, I could be over there preaching the Bible, the Word of God— doing the work of an apostle, but instead, you know, but anyway, but you know what was crazy? Before that week was over, I fell in love with those kids and got to know those families on a whole completely different level because they didn't know me as the preacher. They just knew me as the person helping with their children. And it was probably one of the most satisfying trips for me Mm. in Africa. Mm. Um, But it was not my giftedness, you know what I mean? So it's not always...
0: Yeah, there's some maturity to just say yes when you need it right Sometimes you
2: just, somebody's got to do the dishes. Yep. Yep. And so, you know, I just want to encourage our people absolutely, you need to find long time, long haul service in your giftedness. But I would also tell you, it's okay to just do the dishes. (laughs) It It is. It's good. And there's something about it, and it's good for you, I think. So,
1: I think if you're out there in your workplace or your neighborhood, a good set of questions to ask is what's hard for me or painful for me? Is it hard or painful for anyone else? And then what can we do to make it better? Can you invite others to join in that with you, Christian or not?
2: That sounds like a table group kind of Mm -hmm. Mm phenomenon.
1: Shameless Mm -hmm. plug. Mm
2: I like it. All right. To be continued then. Yes. Hey.
0: Great job, man. Well, thanks for listening, everyone. Always. We appreciate y'all. Have a good week. Thanks for listening to the Tell Me More podcast today. You can subscribe to this podcast on your app of choice, or you can visit us at fbca.org to find out more information about the podcast and our church. Thanks for listening. Have a good day.